Coming up on Chasing the Natty, we're going to shake things up a little bit this week. We're still going to have our recap for week A. We'll still bring you a set of waiver wire pickups for this week. We're just going to only have a little bit of a dynasty twist to some of the players we'll be discussing today. Nate and I will also be covering a few things that halfway through the season we realized we were totally wrong about during the preseason. All this and more coming right after this. Zappi looking to Jared Stearns who makes the catch and scores. What a burst! Trey Vaughn Anderson as advertised. Touchdown, Buckeyes! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in, everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing Natty podcast. Hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning. We are here. Week eight of college football is in the books. Uh, my Georgia Bulldogs were on their bye this week. So it honestly, again, this is going to sound weird, but like the week that Georgia's off is honestly one of my favorite weekends in the entire season of college football because I enjoy watching my Bulldogs. But there is something really nice about just going into a slate of games, knowing that you don't have your team and how they perform in the back of your mind, and you can just sit back and enjoy watching football. And I'm sure my co-host, Mr. Nate Marquise, can definitely speak to that as well as his Oklahoma Sooners were off this week as well. But even more so, Nate, how are you doing today, sir? Man, I am good. Um, yeah, Sooners were off this weekend. I had the pleasure of, of actually a, having to attend a three-year-old's birthday party. So, um, yeah, I guess it was good timing since so you did have the bye week. But, uh, you know, three-year-old birthday parties in the fall, not not as bad as, as fall weddings, um, but still not ideal either <laughs> for for watching uh, for watching sports. But uh, my brother-in-law's setup's actually pretty good. We he had a big screen going in the uh, in his basement with the uh, big twelve with the Big Twelve games. He's a big Kansas fan, so um, uh, okay. we 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 still were able to to tune in a little bit. It wasn't as uh, as bad as I thought it would be, but you know you still have ten three year olds running around screaming and stuff. <laughs> it's, it's hard to it's hard to pay attention too much, but uh, it was a good time. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about that whatsoever. And like you said, not ideal for watching sports, but at the same time, fall weddings you can control the date of. Well, when your kid is born, that's not really something you can truly control. So yeah, I, was, I don't blame I was, you too much on that one. Or it's uh, not yeah. your kid, but like still. So. <laughs> I was thinking about that like before before I went over there. I was like, ah, there's nothing really you can do about it. It's mm -hmm. but it's not you know fall weddings. The deal is is that it's really hard sometimes to get to a TV. You know what I mean? There's oh, a yeah. ceremony. There's uh, a reception. Sometimes doesn't have TV access. You know. Uh, so birthdays are a little bit more conducive to watching the games, but still, uh, it, it was, it was a little, um, not my, not my normal Saturday routine, let's say. No, not, no, not at all. And again, I imagine you had fun. I imagine your daughter had fun and everything like that. Oh yeah. But even still, it sounds like we got a couple games to catch you up on here and everything like that. And you said you were able to kind of catch a few games here and there. So let's talk about some of these games from this past weekend. Again, we had five ranked v ranked matchups 
I don't think we really need to talk about Mississippi State, Alabama. That game went exactly how I thought it would. Alabama got right. They absolutely steamrolled Mississippi State. Uh, All my Will Rogers under bets hit perfectly this weekend. So I knew that game literally went exactly how I thought it would. But let's talk about... Actually, I'll let you pick the first game, Nate. Which game do you want to go to first? Let's let's talk about uh, what went down in Stillwater between Texas and Oklahoma State. Uh, mm-hmm. That game was that game was pretty wild. It looked like I mean Texas kind of jumped out early and and kind of got all over them and looked like it was going to be you know blowout easy victory for Texas and they uh, they really struggled towards the end. It kind of reminded me of how Oklahoma State and TCU went uh, last week mm-hmm. when Oklahoma State kind of got out on them early and then just fell apart in the second half. Their offense didn't look the same. That's kind of how Texas looked this, this week. Uh, uh, Quinn Ewers was really on the struggle bus this weekend. See here, here's uh, yeah. We'll definitely talk about Quinn Ewers in a second. I disagree that it was a lot like Oklahoma state last week. Cause like Oklahoma state, there was like a conscious effort to slow the game down. Once they got to a lead, they tried to run out the clock in the first half uh, in the second half, they were trying to just run out of the clock, keep their lead and everything like that. Texas, it really was that just something was off with the offense pretty much starting in the second half. Quinn Ewers, um, I wish I could have a half breakdown, but like, I think they said at one point he had completed seven of the last 19 passes that he had thrown. He was off all day long. He he was overthrowing Xavier Worthy consistently, and he finished the day with a completion percentage of just doing quick math here. Yeah, wasn't of, he like nineteen of forty nine or something like that? Nineteen of forty nine. So he yeah. was he had a completion percentage of thirty eight point eight percent. That is Yeesh. abhorrent. And, it, and again, most of this came in the second half. Something happened I, in that second half. It looked to me like it was outside of Alabama. Obviously, it looked to me like the first time where he was feeling pressure. Uh, consistently, and I think he he started to feel some of that pressure with the pass rush early in the third quarter, mm-hmm. and then it almost just kind of messed with him a little bit. And you could tell there were a couple times he was throwing the ball, overthrowing, throwing it out of bounds, and he didn't even have pressure on him. It was almost yep. like he was just he was just expecting that his line was going to have somebody break through, uh, allow somebody to break through, and he was kind of in panic mode. And I think that's kind of what what we saw happen there some of you know some things that you expect from a first year starter really um yeah yeah, i mean he's two years out but a first year starter and and you know five star or not he still hasn't seen uh you know a whole bunch of of snaps and experience to be able to handle pressure consistently like that so Mm -hmm. uh you know on on the flip side you know props to oklahoma state spencer standards continues to uh, you know, fight through a rash of injuries. It sounds like between his ankle and his shoulder, and and dude is still putting up some pretty impressive numbers. Uh, he's he's got to be a top what five or six QB so far this year. Fantasy points, I would guess. I got you. He is QB five on the year yeah. right now in terms of total fantasy points. That's amazing. Like I and I sent out a tweet about this at the beginning of the year. There's literally never been a more consistent average quarterback than what we saw Spencer Sanders his first what three or four years in college like if you look at his stat line those first three years that he was starter or whatever I mean they are almost identical every game's a roller coaster but at the end of the season he puts up the exact same numbers and then all of a sudden this year 
was the Spencer Sanders that we had, or myself and Bainbridge and a whole bunch of other people had been like assuming we were going to get three years ago. It just came way later than expected. Well, I would say it, it came the moment that everybody got off right. of him because yeah. he was yeah, not a top quarterback <laughs> in terms of drafts this year. He's somebody that you consistently could get after the 10th round for the most yeah. part. So, of course, it's what happened. It's, it's like Quentin Johnson. The, the day that people started dropping him from their rosters, that's yeah. when he decided to go full Quentin Johnson, did what we, what we knew he could do. Other things I could note in this game, uh, shout-out to Dominic Richardson uh, for an abhorrent efficiency in terms of 13 carries for 24 yards. But dadgummit, did he get three touchdowns and basically saved my fantasy day in at least two leagues. Did he get hurt, or did he they did. just say we've had? He, he did. He did get hurt. Okay. Um, he he did go to the locker room in the second half. Trust me. Again, I was in a really close fantasy game, and I kept looking for Richardson. I'm like, where is he? And at one point, I just right. looked it up, and there and there was a tweet that said he had gone to the locker room. Okay. Okay. So. Yeah, I, I thought maybe 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 Gundy was pulling the cord after a while. We're just like, man, anybody could do this. Like anybody could get twenty yards off of 13 carries why don't we let one of the young bucks uh have a chance here but okay he got hurt so that makes sense well speaking of the young bucks and i think this is one last thing we could touch on in this game and everything i mean obviously Bijan's probably gone after this year uh dominic richardson i believe he is in how many, how many years does dominic richardson have do we so this him? is his he's eligible this is his third year i believe okay out of out of school uh because i believe he's in the same i think he was in the same class as uh kendra miller and zach Evans and that mm -hmm. was kind of the whole deal he was committed to TCU or something like that and then they ended up getting Kendra Miller I can't remember how it all played out but anyways yeah. uh yeah he, he, this is his third year so he could technically go I don't know where he would go I don't think the NFL is going to be too interested no. in running back averaging two and a half yards a carry but <laughs> yeah I mean, but even so, I, like I think, but I do think that what you talked about with Bijan moving on, there's a, there's a really serious debate that could be had about what Texas backfield is going to look like next year. Because my money's on Roshan. If he comes back for another year, that staff loves him. That staff has shown that he is the clear number two behind Robinson. When Bijan isn't that dude, Roshan stepped up and has had some pretty good games. Even though Bijan has again, B, clearly Bijan is that dude, but. My money's on Roshan next year. Yeah, it's and and I don't know, and I'm curious to see what Roshan does. Like, does he stay or does mm -hmm. he does he decide to? I mean, he's been around for four years, and he supposedly is like the biggest leader in that locker room. When when he got hurt in the spring game, or I think one of the scrimmages leading up to the season that caused him to miss like the first game of the year, like there was a lot of talk that like he is the heart and soul of the team. But yeah, I mean, if let's let's assume he comes back, um, you know, with guys that we run with 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 campus to Canton, they have no interest in in Roshan because nope. he doesn't have that big NFL upside. Everybody wants to see, you know, Jaden Blue or uh, what's the other? Um, not Rob Brooks. Everybody really yep. likes Jonathan Brooks as well. Um, my money would be on Brooks if if Roshan were to leave, oh, but yeah. I'm, I'm kind of with you that if, if Roshan does come back, I think he is going to at least get first dibs at RB one. Mm -hmm. And because the staff loves him, team loves him. And if you're getting first crack at it uh, and they've got a solid, I mean, they've got a really solid, everybody's coming back on their offensive line next yep. year. You got all those pieces. I mean, he could, he could put up some pretty big numbers next year. Yeah. And he's got the receiving ability that has also helped make Bijan such a big deal. Uh -huh. So, yeah. 
Moving on to another game here, let's go to the high-scoring CFF game that we all really wanted to see this weekend, and that was number 9 UCLA at number 10 Oregon. Oregon comes out on top 45-30. to 30. Oregon played a darn near perfect game in this game. Bo Nix was absolutely on fire, 22 for 28, five touchdowns, 283 yards. That was one of the easiest props of the weekend of Bo Nix going over two and a half touchdowns. Um, so he he had another incredible day. Man, what what a turnaround for him as well. Again, he's QB3 on the year right now, and I don't think he has, outside of the Georgia game, he has not finished outside the top 12 weekly. He, That's crazy. And, and it, this is Bo Nix we're talking about. Maybe it was a, it was a change of scenery. It's yeah. all I needed. We'll, uh, uh, we'll, we'll dive more into Bo Nix on another segment we've got coming up here yes. in a minute. Um, but, but, but I want to throw out also out there uh, Bucky Irving. Uh, he's right. starting to separate himself in this backfield a little bit. 19 carries, 107 yards. Didn't get a touchdown. That honor belonged to Jordan James. But even still, we're finally kind of getting what we wanted out of that backfield is somebody separating. Yeah, they. I was looking at that. They, they, Bucky Irving and um, uh, who who was the other guy? No, Whittington uh, was yes. the other one that he'd been splitting with. And I'm just like, man, I I want to invest in one of these running backs because if one of them is able to seize the majority of of the share, then I think he's a very valuable piece to have moving forward to the playoffs. Yep. But, uh, it, man, it had been essentially a 50-50 split up till this time. But, yeah, this was the first game I really was able to get a good look at Oregon because uh, I was excited to see what this matchup looked like. And, yeah, you're right, man. They were clicking on – I mean, they were firing on all cylinders. Um, that offense looks really good, and it, oh, does yeah. not, it, it does not look like there's anybody in the Pac-12 that's going to be able to really slow them down. And it is a travesty that we do not get to watch USC and Oregon play in the regular season this year because the amount of points that, that I mean, you talk about lighting up a scoreboard, uh, you know, I, they would have to set that line at like the, the total, like 74 or something. It would be insane. Oh, yeah. They probably would still beat it. So yeah, it, as far as the U the UCLA side, man, that offense is that offense is really good. But man, DTR can be just uh, make you want to pull your hair out sometimes watching yes. him. Some of the some of the plays that he does, he can make a very easy play look so challenging sometimes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he'll have like there was one play where he had um, he had Charbonnet on just kind of like an open yeah he just kind of flared out towards the sideline out of the backfield wide open if he could have dumped it off to him he'd have ran for at least 20 30 yards if not had a walk-in touchdown and he decides to try to thread the needle 25 yards downfield in between two defenders to try to get a touchdown i'm like bro what are you doing just sometimes you can just make things so difficult and I think it's kind of been the story of his career. Well, I mean, again, I think a lot of these quarterbacks sometimes forget, like, in the moment. And again, obviously, I, I can't armchair a quarterback too much over here. I've never played a down of football in my life. But at the same time, like, football is a game played in uh, intervals of 10 yards, not 25, 30 yards down the field. Sometimes all you need to do is just make sure that you can get that new set of downs and that's all you got to do. Again, enough of us have played Madden before in, in, in our lives to where it's like sometimes when you're playing a game, all that matters is that you just stay on the field. And if you yep. keep taking shots that you aren't sure that you can complete, you're going to put your team in trouble. And that's what DTR kind of did here in this game. So Yeah. Zach yeah, Charbonnet speaking, was a beast as always. 
Yeah, I was going to say similar to the Texas running back situation. I'm really curious to see what that quarterback room looks like for UCLA uh, next year because, you know, Chip Kelly has kind of gone with the veteran backups whenever DTR has been out this year. Uh, meanwhile, he's got the um, the freshman, uh, Martin, yep. that's there that is, is by far the most highly recruited guy in that room. But it also feels like a transfers coming you know what i mean because he's they, done... they they got gabriel yeah last year with dtr still on the roster so if you're going that hard after gabriel while dtr is there i mean who's you would think that they're going to go after another transfer qb don't you think yeah again i i don't think that i don't think that's outside the question whatsoever i'm a believer in garbers again we'll, we're going to definitely talk about more about the impact of the transfer portal and how to read these situations moving forward um but again, to me, it's kind of like the same deal as like until something happens, you go with the guy who is at least like, or you go with the guy like before the preseason start. A lot of the guys that I targeted were not guys that I thought could take over rooms by the end of the year. I just went ahead and got the guy who was going to get the first start. Guys like Tyler Shuck, guys like um, yeah. guys like Jairo Brock, and everything like that. Where a lot of people were telling me like, oh. They're gonna they're gonna lose out in the job sometime during the year. I'm like, yeah, that's possible, but at the same time, I'd rather have the guy who is starting that way. I don't have or because they have the inside track pretty much the rest of the season. I feel like it's a similar thing here of the veteran, a guy like Garbers, is until a transfer comes in, it's worth investing in them until until that happens. Normally, I would I would totally agree with you, but. The fact that he already added a transfer who didn't stick around would it just feels like that's telling me he doesn't he doesn't believe in the guys he's got in that room anyways. You know what I mean? It just yeah, it just I, seems I, like if he's already if he's already grabbed a transfer. But to your point of hey, let's let's not try to overthink this this the setup here. If the if the staff thinks this guy's the starter, I should invest in that guy. Yeah. I think really held true and we'll use this to transition to another game really held true with Jaden Daniels at LSU yeah and everybody's like oh I don't want to invest in Jaden Daniels because he's going to end up losing his job to this guy or that guy by the time the season gets going guilty and man right and Jaden Daniels has been an absolute star uh yep. last I would say the last month of the season at least um he has had some performances that are just I mean this it they finally have unlocked you know kind of what we thought he was capable of becoming his yeah. whole time at Arizona state, but had too much of a conservative play caller to, to make that happen. Yeah. And again, we'll, we'll definitely try. Uh, that was a great transition over to probably the last game. We'll really dive into here. We'll, uh, Ole Miss number seven, Ole Miss goes down to unranked LSU here, uh, 45 to 20, just an absolute beating in the second half by LSU. Ole Miss never found the end zone in the second half. Um, this game semi-vindicated me a little bit because I made the call a couple of weeks ago that LSU could give Tennessee a run for their money and then they absolutely got smashed. And I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe LSU isn't as good as I thought I was. But then I saw this game against Ole Miss this weekend and I said, this if I knew that if this LSU team ever started clicking, specifically this offense ever really started clicking, they are a dangerous team to whoever they are playing on a weekend and week out basis. They play Alabama in two weeks, and I think that's going to be a very interesting game. And I bet that line is going to be smaller than a lot of people kind of give it credit for going into it. We'll definitely see. But again, like you said, Jaden Daniels, 
absolutely incredible performance in this game. He uh, was the QB1 on the week. Uh, on the ground especially, dude. He 25 carries, 121 yards, and three touchdowns. It, again, LSU yeah, clicked was, in this game, and, and Ole Miss a, got a little bit exposed. He was a monster, and I think that was kind of the big deal there. You you calling the, the LSU upsetting Tennessee was didn't happen because Tennessee's legit, and it looks like LSU may have exposed Ole Miss as a little bit of a fraud here. And and props to the I listened to the cover three podcast with some of the yeah. guys from 247 on there. And they have every week for like the last four weeks have said, okay, this is the top 10 team that's a fraud. And they they were all over Ole Miss this week saying mm-hmm. Ole Miss is the fraud. They're the fraud that doesn't belong in the top 10. And uh they were absolutely right. What happened to uh to Evans? Was he hurt or so there what's the deal? So basically from what I gathered was that there was like a nagging injury that they said they said that he, he was going to be limited limited was the word that they used okay and so i figured like okay regardless this is a start quench on judkins day because they're going to not give him a ton of carries and then he just didn't play at all so huh this this worries me if i were a zach evans owner because we heard literally the exact same thing last year at tcu mm-hmm. and he was going to be limited with like an ankle or toe i can't remember what and then we didn't see him for like three weeks. Yeah. Um, and so I'm just wondering if we see something like that happen here. Because Ole Miss has certainly got a guy they can turn to that they have no problem uh, giving a workload carry carry amount to with, with Judkins. He's he's yeah. a boss. Yeah, dude, Judkins is going to be a beast for CFF. I know uh, Dan on Twitter at one point like asked if Judkins was the RB1 for next year in CFF. And honestly, I don't think it's outside the question. I I think that's a I think that's a fair uh, assessment as well. Uh, I was actually thinking about that earlier today. I was thinking, okay, who would be the QB one? Who would be the RB one? And um, you know, I, I actually thought maybe Baron Morton ends up being the QB one with that. Yeah, if that he volume keep, he's getting. So. I mean, if if he keeps that job the rest of the year, absolutely, he's keeping that job the rest of the year. That's his job, man. Dude, I'm I, telling uh, you, he's, he's. I would love the, nothing more. I would love nothing more. But uh, so the, I, people, people listening to the whole three QB thing, I don't know why that staff continues to. I know put why. that out there. I, I think they they think that other teams are preparing for all three. But if I'm smart enough to realize they're just playing Baron Morton, there's no way that like. West Virginia staff came out and at halftime were like, holy crap, I can't believe they didn't play the other. <laughs> you know? Is that the problem, West Virginia? Is that the problem, Neil Brown? Is that why you guys got smoked off the field? Because you were planning on playing Tyler Shook too? <laughs> yeah, they were planning on playing three QBs and then re- didn't yeah. realize that the team also had two running backs. Right, yeah. <laughs> so... Again, we've talked long enough. Uh, I would love to dive into Syracuse versus Clemson and Kansas State versus TCU, but the only things I'll say there is uh, congrats TCU and Clemson for the win. Clemson, you had some of the biggest ref ball I've ever seen in my entire life happen in that game, so congratulations on that win. And then TCU, man, they just, they keep, they keep tail of two halves for that team consistently. I for sure thought that TCU was going to be the fraud uh, this week. I, I mentioned it many times in, in our Slack line that TCU is going to have two or three losses still on their schedule. And 
the, everywhere across Texas and Oklahoma with the 35 mile an hour winds, I just expected all these games to be lower scoring and nope. it did not didn't matter. At all. Didn't matter. Big 12 can put up points in a tornado. They don't care. They, they can, they can do whatever they want and still score points. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. All righty. Real quick. I think I'm just going to go ahead and do my spiel because it's been long enough into this podcast. I haven't done the spiels. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. Make sure you uh, share us with all your friends. Share us with all of your college football friends. Again, not only are we a CFF show, we just like talking college football around here. So if it's a if you enjoy us for just talking about the different games and stuff like that, talking about different players and what we think of them, share it to all your friends and bring them along for the ride. Uh, if you're if you're listening to this on podcast, make sure you follow us wherever you are listening. And if you can leave a five star review, that would be fantastic. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave us written five star reviews. Those are always the best. Really enjoy those. We're part of the CFF team here at Campus of Canton. Is myself, Nate Marquise, Brandon Sanders, and Chris Moxley, as well as our DFS gurus, Ethan Sowers and Chris K. We got podcasts, we got articles, we got weekly CFF rankings, and even more coming in the offseason. We got some stuff that we are working on that we think you guys will absolutely love. Go check it all out at campusofcanton.com. You can find our podcast there, articles, and everything right there for you. I think that was short enough. Let's go ahead and move on to a quick little segment that I felt, or really, this is Nate's idea, so I got to give him credit here, but... uh, (laughs) Again, it's it's midway through the season. It's a nice things are kind of settled out a little bit where um waivers aren't as prioritized right now because a lot of the studs we have kind of figured out who they are. There'll be some guys who pop up here in between the end of the season. But it kind of gives us a little bit of break to kind of look back on things in retrospect and we'll discuss some of the things that Nate and I we feel really got wrong coming into the season and now with the benefit of hindsight what we really really think we screwed up and i think we'll do what we did wrong this week and nate i think next week we go on a more positive note we'll do some victory lapping next week on some things that we absolutely nailed confession time confession time this week victory lapping next week yes i like it okay i always end on the positive note (laughs) so we'll we'll start with mine nate and i got two each and we'll start with mine here first um my first confession, or my first uh, admitting admittance that I did something wrong here, Michael Trigg and Zach Kuntz as Tier 1 tight ends this year. Michael Meyer and Brock Bowers, to me, were going too high. I thought there was so much more value in grabbing guys like Trigg and Kuntz in that round 4-5 range rather than reaching up for Bowers and Meyer in that 2-3 range. And to me, they were all in the same tier. I pretty much would grab the fourth guy out of the top four pretty much every given time. Man, did I miss the mark on these two being tier one tight ends. And two different reasons. I mean, obviously Trigg is hurt, so that's part of it. But at the same time, he wasn't really doing much before that point because Ole Miss is just really was one of the best rushing offenses in the country this year between yeah. Evans and Judkins. There was no need to pass the ball a whole ton. And even when they did, Trigg wasn't the guy that I thought they would kind of zero in on. Maybe yeah. that happens a little bit next year when they, they only have Judkins, they don't have Evans anymore, and they can they have to kind of bring it off of the running game just a little bit. Who knows? So I'm holding on to Trigg in, in Dynasty Leagues if I can. But then Zach Koontz, man, 
I focused way too much in on the number of targets he got last year, completely ignored the number that was the fact that he only caught like 52% of his targets. And that happened again. that's happening again this year. And it's even worse because teams now know to zero in on him, double him up. And for a while, Ali Jennings wasn't really getting going. So Koontz was the only pass catching option for Old Dominion. And he got shut down quite a bit. And now he's hurt as well. So yeah. Not a great tight end combo here for me. Ollie Jennings, by the way, is sneakily, quietly having a monster year. Like the, his last few weeks, he's wide receiver three on the season. By the way, dude, he's been so he was some he was somebody that early in draft season, like in the spring, I was scooping him up everywhere, and then I started looking at my rosters. I'm like, God, I've got if he's not really good, I'm gonna be in trouble. So I started like kind of backing off him, and I wish I would have just kind of just hammered the gas pedal with him dude i'm with you uh we had our discussion on trig in the um you know when we were discussing the rankings uh, yeah. the ranking summit that we did and and i was defending having him much lower than you guys and i you guys talked me into moving him up and i moved him up into that same tier with with the other big two and yeah i'm regretting that he 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 turns out he's pretty touchdown dependent and he only had one game where he got touchdown so that was a problem so yeah I'm with you. It was a lesson learned for me that I never reach for tight ends until this year. And I reached in a lot of my best balls and even my home league. And yep. I, I regret it. I, I should wait on tight ends. Again, I understand the the want to grab one of the early tight ends because I have some leagues this year where I didn't get a guy like pre-score and didn't get a guy like Joel Wilson. And I am struggling week after week to find a tight end that is going to get me at least just a little bit of production. I thought in so many leagues I had Koizel, and then now all of a sudden he's just non-existent for Ball State. Yeah. And I'm sitting here like, all right, back back to the drawing board. So like, I understand wanting to get a guy like Myers, wanting to get a guy like Bowers, where it's every week you kind of know you're going to get something good out of him. But I think I every keyed in on these two just a little bit too much, trying to balance the boat there a little bit too much. Everybody wants to get the next uh, mayor and Bowers, and it turns out there's only one mayor and one Bowers. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. that's I think that's kind of what we're realizing here. Well, yeah, and again, there's other tight ends that have done well this year. Obviously, Dalton Kincaid, now that Keith, yeah. Keithy's out for a while, he's tied into on the year. Joe Wilson turned out to be one of the better grabs in the later half. Jatavian Sanders, I wish, dude, I wish I talked myself into more Jatavian Sanders this year. Like I knew that if there was a tight end to emerge at Texas, it was going to be him. I just didn't convince myself that there would be a tight end to emerge at Texas. But yeah. say la vie, we'll move on to my other miss on the year. And man, it's this Alabama wide receiver room, man. Uh, Nate, you and I were probably singing some Britney Spears. Uh, because of <laughs> how badly I have misread this room. Now, granted, JoJo Earl getting hurt and being out for like a third of the season definitely did not help. Hey, JoJo's making a little bit of a push. He's given us um, hope. He's, it's, he, it's it's not good. It's we're definitely behind the eight ball. But the fact that he's on the field and he's actually he scored another touchdown, he like did. he's doing stuff. So there's hope that hey, there's hope. Maybe maybe. Probably but at not. the same time, the unfortunate <laughs> thing is Ja'Cory Brooks, after not starting the yeah. year, is still, like, I'd say he, like, out of the bunch, he's probably the most consistent, but yeah. it's, like, consistently mediocre every week. Like, none of these guys truly broke out. God, I missed on J Jermaine Burton. And, like, that still makes no sense to me. I, Jermaine, if you're ever listening to this podcast, which I doubt you are, but if you are, um... 
please write a memoir of everything that went on between Georgia and now Alabama and everything, because I want to know what is going on. You, He has all the tools to be a incredible wide receiver. He's relatively tall. He is very speedy. Dude's going to have a sub 4-5 when he goes off to the NFL draft. He is going, or excuse me, 4-4, excuse me. He's going to have four sub 4-4 four, four when he goes off to the NFL draft. There was all this talk that he and Bryce were just in sync throughout the entire offseason. You had guys like Josh Pay who were just convinced this guy was going to be a thousand yard wide receiver for Bama this year. And just things haven't clicked for him at all. And then Trayshawn Holden comes out of nowhere, looks good for a couple of weeks. Maybe he's the guy, and then no consistency whatsoever. This is probably the most disappointing wide receiver room, I would say, in the country in terms of just none of these guys really panning out for CFF. Yeah, everybody everybody wanted a piece of Jermaine Burton. Um early in drafts, you know, first, late first, mid second rounds, kind of the the range he was going in and a lot of the drafts I was in. And I don't know, I didn't end up with any shares of him. Um, but I, you know, I could see why people wanted the supposed projected Alabama wide receiver one. I mean, it's it's been a massive disappointing year for him for sure. He yeah. may just be one of those guys. He's got a ton of tools, but it just doesn't translate on the field. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's what we're looking at. It, it, and it could be. Again, like, it, I will say there will be a little bit, and I'll say I, I, a little bit of vindication if he, had, if he ends up with less yardage at Alabama than he did at Georgia. So... I'll, yeah. I'll be a, I'll be a you, little. You know, we don't I'll want to a, get into my thoughts on the Georgia wide receiver. Oh, let's I know. Not, let's not go down that that road. We're, we're we're already making our confessions. Let's not take it. <laughs> no, no, no. We'll go. We'll go into the. We'll do go into the confessions that you had for the Utah okay. running back room. Okay. What's going on yeah. here, Nate? Um. Okay, so I think everybody knows by now. If you've listened to me before, if you if you heard my thoughts on on the incoming freshman and 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 where i had ranked and my bold prediction at uh, the beginning of the year was that jalen glover would be a 1000 yard running back this year and he was going to be a monster in this backfield not only for the future but i thought he could be a really really big time player for 2022 and he has not been very good. Uh, he's hardly seeing the field you can make a case he's clearly the running back 3 there you can make a case uh, they've since moved the former um, quarterback over to running back. Uh, what was what's his last? I think Jackson's his last name. I forget, but he was uh, Quincy Jackson. The, yeah, he transferred in from Texas. Big dude. Um, he's now actually last game he got uh, a carry, and Jalen Glover did not. So they're, they're Jalen Glover. He may be uh, running back four there now. I think the 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 thing that makes this where I've was totally wrong is that. Um, that hasn't been a good room. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? We all expected Tavion Thomas to carry the load. It's like, okay, how could you expect Glover to be good when Tavion Thomas is still there? Tavion Thomas has been terrible. No. Tavion Thomas has been suspended. Jalen Glover even got 13 carries against Arizona State when Tavion Thomas was suspended. I was like, okay, it's time. Here we go. And all he got was 48 yards, no touchdowns. He's not even, if you take away the first game of the year versus Southern Utah, he's not even averaging four yards a carry. He's been objectively bad. I was way wrong. So the good news, I would say, for you Jalen Glover fans out there, including his of his podcast, All Aboard the J Train, if you have not checked out Jalen Glover's podcast, uh, quick plug there. Um, the good news, I would say, is that Tavian Thomas, 
he's out, he's gone after this year. I would say more than likely, unless there's some eligibility things I just don't know about there. Micah he Bern actually is eligible for another year, but oh, I I think with the way things have gone this year, with, I don't with think the coaching, yeah, yeah, some, I don't think some, he has any interest in in pro. I would be surprised if he's on the roster next year. And then uh, Micah Bernard, I believe, is also kind of nearing nearing the end of his eligibility as well. So no, he's got he's got time left. Oh, he's got some time left. Okay, yeah, for some I'll, reason I'll, in my head, he he was a. Uh, let's I'll see. Look it up oh sure. yeah, he's only a sophomore. Yeah, he's got yeah. he's got some time, but even still, like. That's all. That's all Glover has ahead of him. Bernard's only gotten ten more carries than Glover has on the year already. So there's still time for Glover to make a, a bounce back here. Again, he's a freshman. You can't expect him to be perfect or anything like that. Not everybody can be Quinshawn Judkins in their freshman year. But it definitely is a little concerning. I would say the fact that there's been all of this hoopla going on in this Utah running back room, and he hasn't really been able to take advantage of that yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. He's still, there's still opportunity in the future. There's still a chance he ends up being really, really good. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I had put this Ty Jordan freshman season image in my mind. Yeah. And, and I was, I was totally wrong about that. Um, the other thing I was wrong about, and that is the Oregon Ducks offense. Wow. I, I was I was totally wrong on this. I sorry if you don't have a graphic on it. This is I I no I I, I, I so had much. I had one. I'm not sure where it went okay. though. So where you keep talking, I, I'm gonna see if I can sure. find it. I called an audible, so may so so Jared may not have the the image here, but I'll let him work on that. I wasn't a huge fan of the Kenning Dillingham uh, uh, offensive coordinator hire, and I did not I did not think his resume matched some of the jobs that he was getting and I was totally wrong. I didn't think, you know, Bo Nix, there it is. Bo Nix was staring at me at the end of every one of my drafts and I could still not find a way to pull the trigger. And he's been, as we talked about, I mean, top five QB uh, Franklin has been a star. Everything looks great for that offense outside of, you know, week one versus Georgia. So uh, props to Matt Bruning because he was one that was saying, hey, I think this offense can actually be really good. I think that they can be uh, really successful with Bo Nix and Dillingham and some of these other guys. And uh, I didn't believe that. And I'm I'm I've definitely got some some egg on my face. I got to eat some crow for what I had projected with Oregon. So we can't go too much further on this without giving Chris Keg some credit as well. I can already feel him oh, scream, yeah. screaming at the podcast right now being like give me some credit because Chris is a monster at picking like one or two late, players late round you know like late teens quarterbacks uh you know going in like round 15 or later and turning and like projecting them out to be stars and he has done this like three years in a row it's incredible yeah he again he absolutely nailed with Bo Nix here here's my deal I was not afraid to pick up Bo Nix. I figured I'd seen him enough at Auburn to know that like, hey, if he even gets in a decent offense, this is like a 20 point floor right here. So I grabbed him in a lot of best balls thinking like, alrighty, if he's playing and like my star quarterback just absolutely craps the bed one week or something like that, a guy like John Rice Plumley or maybe Malik Cunningham or something like that, then he's going to be there. He's going to be that safe floor. I'm going to get 20 points out of that quarterback slot. I did not expect to be getting a consistent floor of 28 plus points every given week with this man mm -hmm. so i won't say that i was totally wrong on this but again i don't think anybody really outside again like maybe matt bruning or chris k could really say they saw a season like this coming for bo nicks mm -hmm. and this just entire offense again 
we'll see moving forward. Again, we're, we're definitely going to talk a little bit more about Troy Franklin here in a second. Uh, Bucky Irving is now somebody who's definitely on my radar as somebody who is going to be, I'll be looking at later into the season because again, that is an efficient running game. Uh, their offensive line, their offensive line is incredible. I am so proud of what Dan Lanning's been able to build there just immediately with that team. Yeah. Have you like did did you catch any of this game? Because early on in this with game, with them in UCLA, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say early on in this game, they mentioned the fact that if there's a fourth and one, they go for it every mm-hmm. single time with a QB yeah. sneak. Why? Because they just know that offensive line can push any defensive line and get three yards down the field and boom, you're, you just convert the fourth down. I, and I think that that's a really good point in that everywhere Kenny Dillingham has been as far as like Auburn and especially his time at Florida state, he has had atrocious offensive lines. And Mm -hmm. so maybe now we're actually getting a, the full picture of what his system looks like because he's now got that line where he can get a push and he can give his quarterback time. So that may be a big difference maker for him there. Yeah, absolutely. And before we move on to the waiver wires and everything, just a little quick Homer uh, deal here again. I it, after watching what Oregon's done over the last like five six weeks and everything, I'm e- I'm even more proud of what Georgia did in week one against this team because like that was it. It may end up being the most dominant performance of the season based off of if if Oregon continues at the rate they're at and just mauling every other team they play. I mean, that was one of the most lopsided games of the year with yeah. with two ranked teams. Yeah, we'll, def- we'll definitely see moving forward. But again, next week, Nick and I will do a little bit of uh, victory lapping on some things we thought we kind of nailed. But now we're going to move over into our waiver wire picks for this week. And one thing I will say real quick, we're doing things a little bit differently this week because as I kind of touched on before, you're looking at we're later into the season we kind of know who the studs are for the most part there's gonna be very few breakouts kind of from here on out there will still be some and we'll be here to tell you about those especially as we get into the playoff weeks and everything like that you're gonna want to know who to pick up week by week who has good matchups stuff like that but we're kind of in that lull right now we're out of this week you're not seeing a ton of new faces in terms of guys to pick up off the waiver wire uh We'll get into the honorable men. I'll go ahead and tell you the honorable mentions for quarterback this week because it's really a lot of guys under 40% that we've already discussed already. Jaden Delora, Holton Naylor's, Kyle Vantrese, Baron Morton. Go grab those guys if you're off the waiver wires. But if you want to hear more about why you should, go listen to our previous podcast, uh, waiver wire podcast. You'll understand why there. So instead, we're going to do something a little bit differently this week. We're going to try to, we're going to give you maybe one to three redraft wave wire pickups this week but instead we're also going to give you some dynasty stashes that you can go ahead and grab off your waiver wires uh nate and i discussed that under 10 percent rostered i thought was a pretty good margin and again based on what i'm looking at here i think every one of our dynasty stashes that we're going to talk about here are under five percent so we did a pretty good job there of digging deep um so yeah quarterbacks we have one this week for a redraft and then the rest we'll discuss some dynasty guys so first things first we're going to talk about mr preston stone here a guy that you could be a redraft or a dynasty play because he's got several years of eligibility left quarterback at smu tanner mordecai finally benched this week after an abhorrent performance against cincinnati for a while preston stone finally comes in he doesn't have a great day either though again 15 passes only six completions for 74 yards and a touchdown nate 
you have been on Preston Stone pretty much this entire year. You've just been waiting for this moment where Mordecai finally gets put on the bench and Stone comes in and gets this opportunity. Why should people be excited about Stone moving forward despite the fact that he had probably a less than stellar performance this week? Well, it's it's a it's a Rhett Lashley system and and he's got a really proven track record that his his quarterback uh, produces at a high level for for CFF and Preston Stone's a guy that has enough athleticism where he could be he could get you some some yards on the ground as well. He could get you, you know, punch in a touchdown or two with his legs. Um, you know, I mean, I still think you got to monitor the situation uh and and make sure that the 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 switch, they don't switch back is yeah that the switch is permanent i i would be surprised if they go back to mordecai all indications i got before the season were is that they wanted stone to kind of take that job and and um and and be the guy so we'll see he should hang on to it would be my guess the nice thing is is that he has uh south florida and memphis as two of his three um playoff matchups the other one's Tulane at Tulane yeah. that's not Tulane's one of the better G5 defenses there is um that's not great but yeah I I think that they're you know if this if this switch is made it's it's a really strong system and he is he is a toolsy player and if he can put it together he could put up some pretty big numbers yeah fullheartedly agree really not much else to say there again the only caveat I would really say is again like keep an eye out for the fact that they could go back to Mordecai this week, but yeah. he got he got some pretty extensive play in this game. It wasn't like a late fourth quarter kind of deal of like, oh, like let's just see if we can get a spark kind of going here. It's like, no, right. they gave him plenty of snaps in this game. That kind of tells me like, alrighty, they're more than likely looking for him to be that guy moving forward. Yeah, and I mean, you got to understand he's he's a a young guy. I mean, this is a guy oh, that's yeah. never started before, so you don't know exactly what you're going to get out of him and. I doubt that they want to do this yo-yo thing of switching back and forth between the QBs, but at the same time, um, you know, I, I doubt his leash is going to be super, super long. So, uh, you know, he's just somebody you would want to pick up and and see how the next game or two goes. And if he if he runs with it, like say a Baron Morton has, yep. then then you can feel confident starting him after another week or two. I mean, I, I think his leash is going to be even a little longer than that because like I think SMU just re- they know the season's lost at this point. They're gonna yeah. they're, they might get to a bowl game and everything like that, but like any idea of them going to an ACC AAC championship, right. any that's kind of bigger gone. bowl, that's that's all gone and everything like that. So why not just let him get out there, let him make the mistakes now, let right. him earn the confidence this year. I I really think this might be just Mordecai might be done. I, and yeah. we'll see what he does. I believe he has one more year of eligibility to where he can tr- grad transfer now. Yeah. But even yeah. so, we'll definitely see. And I'll, I'll be real, Mordecai outside of a good system. I'm not sure. I'm terribly excited. So. Uh, what if? <laughs> don't 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 bring it up. Don't bring okay. it up. All right, all right, all right. Never mind. But I the team that there. Nate was going to mention there for a second <laughs> is the guy is the team of the guy that I'm going to talk about here next. I'm going to talk about true freshman quarterback here, and this is again moving on to full dynasty plays here because uh, we got we got four pure dynasty plays here. So if you don't play dynasty, my apologies. But you know, it's still an interesting conversation. Kind of learned about the guys we're probably going to be talking about ne- possibly next year. To if me, you don't you should you should it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. I and I recommend joining one your first year don't join multiple don't be right uh, some of y'all out there again especially in the c2c community some of y'all like are like oh yeah it's my first year of c2c and i've joined like 17 leagues and i'm like <laughs> why no 
no, you're going to burn yourself out so quickly. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's go back on topic. Sam Jackson, quarterback out of TCU. He is a true freshman there. I think he is worth a stash because I do think that, especially if Duggan keeps having the year that he has, he probably goes off to the NFL, at least to be to, to see if he can get drafted and everything. Chandler Morris is still is probably still going to be there if he hangs out for another year. My big thing is that, again, first of all, Chandler Morris, when he has played, has not looked very good in this offense. Again, it could be one of those guys. It could be one of those practice heroes. In practice, he looks awesome. As soon as he's actually out there on the field, he looks like crap. Sam Jackson is another guy that has been getting a lot of hype. And there were some, if albeit brief, rumors that he could have possibly taken this job from Duggan or Morris had he continued playing the way he was at certain points during the offseason and at times looked like the best fit for Sonny Dykes' offense moving forward. So to me, he is worth a sash because if Duggan moves on for to after this year, that leaves Morris, that leaves Jackson, and I think there's a pretty good chance that Jackson could overtake Morris during the offseason for the, this next year, and you're looking at the next Sonny Dykes quarterback right here. Talk talk about your next guy too, because I I have some thoughts on both these guys, but I want to kind of group them together. I feel fine. very similar about about both of them. Let's go ahead with your other guy too. Yes. So let's my next guy here as well, and I think I know what where Nate's going to go, and it is a worth worthy conversation. We should probably start this before we got into the uh, waiver wire picks and everything. But other guy I'm going to talk about here, Thomas Castellanos, the quarterback out of UCF, another true freshman. Mikey Keene is transferring after this year. I'm sorry. That 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 is a done deal. He like no doubt. John Rice Plumley won the job. He has kept it the entire year. We have not even sniffed Mikey Keene. He is not a Gus Malzon quarterback. To the point where Castellanos, as a true freshman, has been getting the backup snaps behind John Rice Plumley. And he is also in this same mold in a way that John Rice Plumley is. He is a run-first quarterback. He, Castellanos was a guy that m- most other higher-tiered schools were recruiting as a running back. Gus mm-hmm. Malzahn came in and said, nah, you want to play quarterback? You can come play quarterback for me. And again, he fits that same kind of John Rice Plumley mold where he's not the most efficient passer in the world, but more than likely, he's going to be a run-first kind of guy. He's going to get you 100-plus y- rushing yards in any given game. And if the and this Plumley experiment so far is working out pretty well, I would say for Malzahn. Again, obviously some up and down performances here and there. Right. Casalanos looks like that next dude up, especially if John Rice Plumley, he's not gonna get drafted to the NFL, but if he gets drafted the MLB or he just decides to just call it quit for college after this year, I think Casalanos is that next dude up. So that's why I think they're both worth stashes. Nate, what are your thoughts on both of these guys? Because you wanted to group them together. Yeah, so let me tell you what I like about both of these selections, and I'll tell you what I don't like. Um, I, I, what I do like is, and this is very similar to the to the next guy that I'll mention, is that they both have that incredible athletic upside, that Konami yes. code type of ability, and that's what you, if you were going to stash guys, we're talking about guys that you may not see play for the next year plus, mm-hmm. you want upside big big upside and that has to be one of two things either they play in a system where they're going to throw the ball like mike leach or zach kitley quarterback yep. or 
they have ridiculous amount of athleticism that can do things where you're looking at 125 yards and two touchdowns on the ground being a possibility to go along with their ability to throw the ball. Sam Jackson and Castellanos both have that. Uh, both are incredibly fun to watch. I got to watch. I, I was a degenerate and stayed up late and watched week one uh, TCU versus Colorado. Uh, it was on at like one o'clock in the morning uh, after I think a weather delay. Sam Jackson finally gets to come into the game. Um, he looked good. My gosh, that dude is incredibly fast. I mean, he's he is one of the quickest quarterbacks I've seen in a long time. Uh, and same thing with Castellanos. He is fun watching him run with the ball. The The downside to these two, and you, you've briefly touched on it, is that they're not guaranteed a job next year. Mm-hmm. Max Duggan could come back. The NFL doesn't, at least to this point, they have not been very high on him. Even if he does go, uh, Sam Jackson is still QB3 currently. Yes. And he would have to hop. Um, oh, gosh. Chandler Morris. Chandler Morris. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, he would have to hop Chandler Morris, and I don't know that that's a given. Same no, thing not. with Ke- same thing, and you touched on with Castellanos. Uh, JRP needs to go somewhere for Castellanos to get that job, and I do think he would get the edge over the the transfer that came over from UCF. No, Timmy uh, McLean. Other, Timmy McLean. Yeah, I do think that Castellanos would get the edge over him, but there's still some competition there. Gus still brought in a guy to compete in that room. That's my only concern. One of one of kind of the things that I look for whenever I'm whenever I'm doing a dynasty draft or if I'm making moves for dynasty, give me a path to be the guy next year. That's one of my main things. I don't want to wait two years for a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like that's that's really what you're looking for it doesn't always work out that way but that's kind of what i look for and i don't know that those two get those that's my only concern with those two guys well again at the very least i can give you a path to how these guys get the starting role next year again sam jackson probably a little less so because probably a little less convincing because i do have to say that like he he has to hop chandler morris which i think he can but at the same time at the same time again you're right there is definitely a risk that you're holding on to these guys in a dynasty league and then they don't even, they're not even worth anything next year which yeah. is fair but like you said there's upside with both of these guys to the point to where if it does pay off it's going to be incredible for you let's talk about your guys nate who are you going to yeah. go with here so first guy i've got listed here is malik hornsby so and like i mentioned he falls into that same category as jackson and castellanos this is one of if not the fastest mike wright may be faster but this is one of the fastest quarterbacks in all of college football. Yep. I uh he made a terrible decision to pull his name back out of the transfer portal. He was in the portal in the offseason in the spring, decides to come back um ends up as the QB3 right now. But he he played a couple of weeks ago. It's clear yeah. he's way better than Cade Ford and I'm not worried about that. So, I think he's got a path because one of two things are going to happen. One, KJ Jefferson just moves on to yeah. the NFL. He has kind of like you're saying with Max Duggan, has a similar type of season. Or two, Malik Hornsby's already been in the portal. He'll get right back in that portal again. I yep. doubt he loves the way that things went down for him yeah. uh, in, in, in that type of thing. But I like him because if he ends up somewhere at a G5 level, Chris K and I have talked about it, joked about it. If he ends up like in the Mac or in the Sun Belt, something like that, oh my God, could he just go bananas? Oh, dude, that's that'd what be you so want. Much fun. You just want, and and the beauty of the portal is, is that you can take guys like this and just kind of think where they could end up. And if he does end up in a really good system, he he could go bonkers. And yeah, I, and I think this is a good time for us to kind of discuss what the portal does with all of this because. 
Again, I with Sam Jackson and Thomas Castellanos, I gave you pass to how they earned the job this year. But a lot of that goes out the window the moment that some of these schools bring in an additional quarterback. You already talked about Castellanos, the fact that Timmy McLean's already coming in from South Florida. Yeah. That's already an additional competition right there. It's much harder, I say now, in CFF to truly project mm. these guys down like down several years down the road it used to be that most of these quarterback rooms you kind of knew the order you knew that once this guy moves on this guy is the one who steps up into the starting role there's some competition here and there but now with everybody using the portal to its fullest extent first of all i mean partially is it's harder to project guys but at the same time you don't have to give up on guys as easily anymore because a lot of times If you are holding on to a freshman that you drafted really early because you thought, hey, the upside's incredible here, all of a sudden he enters that portal and it's like he's a freshman all over again. You see where he lands and then you, based on where he lands, you say, alrighty, I like the situation more. I'm going to keep him on my roster. And if he doesn't, then you, you go ahead and let him go. Yeah, the portal has changed things dramatically for when how I view Dynasty. And, you know, three or four years ago, I mean, I used to put out uh, a tweet once a year called the, the next man up series. Yep. And it was really easy three or four years ago to project who the next man up was, you know, yep. because they weren't, you weren't seeing so much roster uh, attrition, so much change happening. Yep. Nowadays that's changed everything. Let's take Evan Prater at Cincinnati, for instance, Yep. great call a year ago. He was one of the most sought after freshman QBs you could go after because there was a clear path to him starting the yep. next season. And what happens Ben Bryant comes in the portal and now we've had another season lost. You're, you're holding on to that asset that's been devalued and we don't know exactly what's going to play out for him anymore. Another way that it's kind of changed, like you said, you want to hold on, you can hold on to guys too. So I've gone from investing in, I still want to invest in systems, right? You still yeah, of want, course. you still want the Texas tech backup QB. You still want the West Western Kentucky backup QB and deep dynasty dash uh, stash moves. But I've also, and I think we've kind of touched on it here, guys like Jackson, Castellanos, Hornsby, and the next guy I'm going to talk about, they have big upside and they have skill to where if you are holding that card, it becomes very playable if they land at a different, in a, in a different offense, because yeah. they, they have, you're, you're betting on the talent to win out mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be at the school that they're currently at. It could be somewhere else. I would never five years ago, invested in somebody like Connor Wegman mm-hmm. at Texas A&M. It's a Jimbo Fisher offense. It's boring. It's slow, blah, blah, blah. If he transfers, he could be really good. You know he could be I mean? really he's got good talent. He's got crazy arm talent and he's athletic enough. So he's somebody I would now maybe actually draft in a dynasty draft, but I, I normally would not have in the past. But um, my other guy, oh, did you have anything you want to add about Malik Hornsby? Oh, no, not at all. Again, I agree with you 100%. He's athletic. He's almost, I don't want to say he's a better KJ Jefferson because I think Jefferson's a better passer than he is. Yeah. But in terms of just the guy, Hornsby can take off any given play and take it to the yard or take it to the house 70 yards down the field. Right, right. He's an explosive player. I love him. I like it a lot. Now tell me about... This next guy that, uh, as Felix would probably say in the offseason, uh, you you ma- you made this name up. This is a made-up player. Eddie Lee Marburger. Okay, so uh, this is UTSA's backup quarterback. He is currently backing up Frank Harris. Um, this is a deeper move, right? This is kind of along the same lines as like a Sam Jackson maybe. 
Um, after this year, Harris is out of eligibility. So yep. we can we can confidently say we don't have to deal with, with him still being there. It's a proven system that has been successful for quarterbacks. Clark, Cephas, and Franklin all have eligibility left. Who knows if they all come back, but if they did – what an incredible asset that would be for the quarterback there, right? I mean, you're talking mm-hmm. about the best G5 wide receiver room in the country, probably. Um, he's a true dual threat. He, in high school, put up ridiculous numbers in Texas high school. He had like 9,000 yards passing, uh, I want to say right around 24, 2,500 yards rushing and like 140 TDs over his career. It was insane. The numbers he put up was insane. Stats and info tell me that's a lot of points. That's a lot of points, right? So um, so you like that. You like that dual threat ability. You like that there's a clear path to him starting next year. The, I would say really the only concern here is, one, he's never really played much in a game, so we don't know exactly what we're working mm-hmm. with. But we do know he's the QB2 there right now because he has been the one that's came in in, in garbage time to, to clean up when, when Harris is out. The other thing is, I think this is a again. I think this is a prime transfer destination. I agree. If you're, if you're a quarterback from G from a P5 program that's trying to revitalize your career, trying to get your name back out there, this could be a really a really good landing spot, and and that could hurt Marburger, obviously. Yeah, but until then, and if you're in a deeper dynasty league, and right. it, and some of you guys have like minor spots and everything like that, where you just put guys in there and you don't worry about them for the rest of the year, you can't play them or anything like that. Marburger is a perfect guy for that because again he's not right. going to play as, as long as harris is on the field uh now harris can get hurt and everything like that we don't wish that upon anybody but even still like like nate said proven system even without their offensive coordinator their offensive coordinator who went up to i think illinois if i remember correctly yep. mm-hmm. uh went up to illinois they they honestly they're even better than they were last year granted they hired from within they kept the system rolling and everything but even still that didn't shake up anything for harris's qb2 on the year Marburger, if he is as good as he was in high school and everything, no doubt in my mind that he could easily produce again what Harris is doing. He'd be somebody he's somebody that I think next year in redraft leagues is going to come at a discount. Because uh, I think that it because it, every this happens every year where it's like the quarterback moves on and people kind of assume in the back of their mind like, okay, the quarterback is what who made that system roll. I think Marburger is going to be the kind of guy that people are like, oh, Harris made UTSA work the way it did. Marburger's not going to be able to do what Harris did. And I, I'm probably going to take advantage of that next year. So. Yep. Let's move on to our running backs here again. Going back to redraft here uh, for you redraft listeners and everything. And we'll talk about some guys here. Now, granted, we're talking about some younger guys here. So these guys are kind of hybrid redraft dynasty plays as well. Granted, if you listen to this show at all, these first two guys should already have been on your dynasty roster. But if they're still available for some reason, maybe somebody got frustrated with the fact they didn't produce in the first three games like Nate always wants his freshmen to do. Uh, freshmen to do. Maybe they're available from somebody dropping them. But even still, let's talk about the first running back here. And that is Mr. Damian Martinez running back out of Oregon State. Deshaun Fenwick did not play this past week. So you can point to that and say that's the reason why Martinez had an incredible game. But regardless, Martinez was already earning more carries as the season was going on regardless. Last week, with Fenwick still in the game, he got 16 carries, over 100 yards, 111 yards. Didn't find the end zone. Not a problem this week. Against Colorado, granted, again, Colorado, terrible rushing defense. But still, 22 carries, 178 yards, and three touchdowns. This man had an absolute blowout game. And if Fenwick continues to be hurt, 
I think Martinez has taken this job by the throat, and he probably has this job for the next three years at Oregon State. So again, he is a redraft play right now. You go grab him off the waiver wire right now. But if in Dynasty, if for some reason he is there, this is the most important asset you could pick up off the waiver wire this week in a Dynasty League. So Nate, thoughts on Martinez? Yeah, Jonathan Smith had mentioned after the Stanford game a few weeks ago where he carried the ball three times for 83 yards. They're like, what do you think of Damian Martinez? He's like, well, I think we should probably get him the ball a lot more. So, mm-hmm. uh, And then you saw his his carries climb to 16 the next week and then obviously 22 this week. So uh, he's followed through on that statement. Um, yeah, I don't think Fenwick's getting this job back. Fen- Fenwick's fine. Um, but we 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 all heard it throughout the offseason about just how impressive Damian Martinez was in camp. Uh, he just needed opportunity and he's getting that now. I was a little scared at this room with, with Fenwick getting carries. Um, uh, there was the other guy that transferred in from Griffin tech Griffin Griffin was getting some carries and then around the goal line, they give it to Coletto, you know, the, the jackhammer, I think is what they call it. And it's just like, (laughs) man, where's the opportunity for Martinez to be the guy if, if he's not even getting goal line carries. And he's splitting it, but it, I, things things change quickly in college football. And here we are, three weeks later, uh, he is clearly the guy. So yeah, um, yeah, you, he's he's a he's a very good ad for sure. Yeah, I'd say he, he also first of all, very nice young man. Uh, we interviewed him at Camp Scanton over the summer and everything like that. He's a very hardworking dude. And regardless, like again, to me, if there's a possibility, like you can say, all right, maybe maybe Fenway comes back, his carries on opportunities go down a little bit more because of that. Regardless, if there's even a sliver of possibility that he is the main Oregon State running back, which Jonathan Smith is no stranger to having a workhorse running back, yeah, Martinez is a must-grab right now. From one freshman to another, let's go and talk about Ashton Gienti, running back at Boise State. Once again, if you're if you've been listening to this podcast throughout the summer, you've been listening to any of the Campus Canton podcasts, you already know this dude's name. Holani, George Holani, the running back out of Boise State, who's been actually having a pretty good year, a much better year than I gave him credit for. Uh, he was out this past game, but regardless, Jinty's been getting work as well, even with Holani in the game. Two weeks ago, he had 19 carries for 109 yards and two touchdowns. This past week, 15 carries for 53 yards and a touchdown. He is the future at the running back position for Boise State. This is a team that, once again, no stranger to having one running back that they love to go to. And you can point to, like, oh, he only had 53 yards this past week when he was the main guy. He went up against Air Force. It's a pretty good rushing defense in the G5, so I'm not going to knock him too hard for that. I like where he is trending with Boise State. He is finally kind of doing what we wanted him to do throughout most of the season. Nate, what are your thoughts on Mr. Gianti? Yeah, I think like Martinez, he is an ad even with George Holani coming back. If Holani yeah. is not out for a long time, I still think Genty carries some value and and he should be rostered. You can see a a stark change in the offense when uh, the OC was fired and Dirk Dirk Cutter took over as offensive coordinator. He's like he looks at this roster and says, "Okay, I got a I got a quarterback in Taylor Green that can't really pass, but he can run. I've got two stud running backs." Let's just ground and pound. And mm-hmm. since they made that change, uh, Halani has shot off and Janty's um, been fantastic. Yep. He catches the ball really well, too. He's a complete running back. He, For me, he was a top three uh, CFF uh, freshman running back. I thought he would produce this year, and he has proven to uh, really be everything that I thought he thought he would be coming out. I need to go through my... Uh my stats and info sheet and go through and and 
uh, filter it for freshmen only just so at the end of the year I can get like a full list of all the top freshmen at each position because I do think that'd be an interesting thing to kind of go through and see if we can find more patterns out of that in yeah. order to better identify guys going into the future. This is this is a great all you want to see is opportunity early yep. for for guys like Gianti and Martinez and sure it came lately it's I mean they proved a little bit but it, they've really gotten to take take a hold of that job because somebody got hurt but it's clear they have the talent now now we've gotten to see that the staff is going to continue it's even if Alani comes back it's not like Gianti's going to go back to getting four carries that's just not going to happen yeah we'll talk about our third running back of the day here in terms of really just this is our third running back system that we were hoping would be figured out at the beginning of the season and it's taken its sweet time to really kind of come down to one guy and i think we have found our guy here in cincinnati and that is mr charles mcclellan the running back there rostered on 16 percent of rosters last three weeks 13 carries for 83 or 87 yards no touchdowns Against South Florida, 21 carries for 179 yards and two touchdowns. Last week against SMU, 16 carries, 129 yards, and a touchdown. Nate, is this the dude for Cincinnati? Is this the guy that if we want to have a piece of this Bearcats running game, this is the guy we should be moving forward? Or should we still be worried about Corey Kiner coming back? I'll be honest with you. I have no idea. Uh, every <laughs> Every week... We we uh, change our minds, at least I do, on what the heck's happening with the <laughs> Cincinnati backfield. Um, so yeah, I'll be I'll be honest, man. I have no idea, but the volume he has gotten recently means that he needs to be somebody added to uh, to your rosters, um, and you got to kind of write it out. I mean, if yeah, if it looks like they're going to change it up again, then I, I would guess Corey Kiner would probably be that guy. He got some run in this most recent game, but. Um, I mean, McClellan getting, you know, an average of about 16 carries over his last three and and being very productive with those carries, I think, is yep. something you have to pay attention to. Yeah, this feels like we're we're late enough into the season to where this coaching staff is just going to make a decision and say, like, all right, we wanted Kiner. We gave him as many opportunities this year with his health and everything. We'll, we're just right out the rest of the year. McClellan's been doing a pretty good job. The Montgomery twins have been doing a, a, an all right job. If Kiner needs to sit, if he needs to heal and everything like that, these guys got it handled. And I think McClellan's the best choice right now out of the Cincinnati backfield. He is a guy that I would add, probably not start this next week, just in case, just in case anything kind of goes haywire this week. But if he has another good week, it's clear that this is their plan moving forward. And it's at Central Florida, which has been an up and down defense, but is one of the better ones that they're going to play in the uh, American Athletic Conference. So yeah, I'm with you. Uh, Pick him up. Give it a give it a week to marinate and then see where you want to go from there. Yep. Before we hit our uh, two dynasty plays at running back here, uh, I just want to throw out some honorable mentions of some redraft guys you could look at this week. Dave Fofana, the running back in a Navy. Normally, I would hate hate recommending a triple option air or uh, service academy running back outside of Brad Roberts, but Fofana has been getting consistent consistent work. The last couple of weeks, I believe he's been averaging about 20 to 25 touches per game the last three games. I don't know how long that lasts. Typically, it's like the moment you actually start one of these uh, service academy running backs outside of Brad Roberts. That's the week that they decide to absolutely crap the bed. But for now, somebody to keep an eye on. Ron Cook, the running back out of Buffalo, somebody I would keep an eye on as well. 
And then Jalen Jenkins, running back at Washington State. I believe that running back room has been seeing quite a bit of injury lately. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Nate. And yeah, that's part of the reason. Like, sounds like Nakia Watson's going to be out for, for a few weeks at least. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it's pretty much J- Jenkins' backfield now. I mean, he's he's the guy. He catches the ball well. I, I could see him having a pretty strong finish to this year, actually. There you go. So let's move on to our dynasty plays here. Again, these are stashes. These are not guys we're expecting to do anything this year. But we want to go ahead and start throwing some of these names out for you guys, especially as we get later into the season here. First running back I'm going to talk about here, Mr. Keegan Jones, running back out of UCLA. Obviously, Zach Charbonnet is that dude. He is not going to overtake Zach Charbonnet anytime soon. That's why I said he's not a guy that we're looking at this year. However, he is kind of clearly that number two running back for UCLA right now. Again, he's he's getting roughly about the same number of carries as Dorian Thompson-Robinson. He is a very good receiving back out of the backfield for the most part. They like to find creative ways to get him the ball. He is no again. He he to me, he is a similar build of Zach Charbonnet, maybe maybe a little bit smaller, but even so, he plays a lot of the same roles that Zach Charbonnet could do. I think this is your lead back for UCLA next year, barring some kind of transfer coming in. Again, clearly UCLA not a stranger to transfers. Zach Charbonnet and Britton Brown, their last two major running backs were both transfers. But regardless. Keegan Jones seems like the kind of guy that's earned the trust of the staff. So, Nate, what do you think about Keegan Jones? Yeah, I mean, he's the clear RB2 there right now. And he's he's kind of their third down back. But he's also, I mean, Zach Charbonnet sat out a game earlier this year. And Keegan Jones got majority of the workload yep. uh, when he was out. So he's kind of getting this opportunity to show what he can provide for this team next year. I I'm I get where you're coming from with the with the transfer portal. I do think that this could be a primary transfer destination for a running back. Um, but if he shows the staff uh, what he's capable of, and he's um, you know he's going to have a clear leg up going into next year. So I, I think this is a, a pretty solid choice here. He's somebody that I I actually have stashed in some of my dynasty leagues. One thing that I will also throw out here is that uh, high four-star running back Roderick Robinson yeah. was ori- was originally committed to UCLA, was going to be one of the bigger gets of their recruiting class this year. And a lot of people were saying that there was a path to Roderick Robinson, possibly right. overtaking Jones in that first year. Again, we'll see. We all say that about a ton of freshman running backs every year, but even still, that's no longer there because Robinson recently flipped to Georgia. And so UCLA doesn't have that prime running back coming in, that clear next guy up, that heir apparent after this. So Keegan Jones has less competition. So so many it's things, a, so many things a, pointing to a good good year for Jones next year. Travesty for Robinson. Travesty. He did not get to go to the Chip Kelly system. He's going to get buried on the depth chart in Georgia. But fine. I know one of us in this conversation is perfectly fine with that. But also Deshaun Morrell. He's another guy that yep. is that was. He's in year two now. He's done absolutely nothing. Yeah. This staff clearly prefers Keegan Jones over Deshaun Morrell. Maybe he he makes a step in the off season, but. Um, he's somebody that hasn't done anything. You, you can't yeah. have any confidence rolling with him. I would say, which, which guy are you guys going to trust more? The guy that's gotten 49 carries so far right. this year or the guy who's got six? All right. And keep in mind, even though the Keegan Jones is undersized, this is the same staff that made uh, Felton, uh, what was it? Uh, Felton, right? Yeah. Was the little guy that they had uh, before Charbonnet and and, uh, and Britton Brown. 
he they didn't have any problem giving him 25 touches a game nope. they don't care that he's undersized yeah and jones is fast jones is a, like yeah. very yeah, speedy track. guy he's a track guy yeah he's a track guy so very good weapon for ucla moving forward nate give me your uh dynasty stash at running back uh for midseason. absolutely so similar to similar to keegan jones same number uh, is it really yeah yep. they're both 22 <laughs> Malik Sherrod is my choice. Who's a running back out of Fresno State. So he's playing uh, the number two to Jordan Mims right now. And we've we've got to see a fair amount of run from him this year. But he's somebody that nobody's talking about. He's 1% owned. Uh, he's available out there. And uh, he is you know, I mean, he's getting a small share of the workload, but he's gotten some run this year and he's looked I mean, he's looked pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. He's actually he's putting up a half a yard per carry more than Mims has so far this year. This is a proven Jeff Tedford uh, system with numerous CFF running backs that have been big time producers, um, you know, similar to UCLA. Of course, this could be a, dra- a transfer destination. Yeah. But at the same time, he is he is really proving right now with his performance so far, this system that he is a very capable player should they decide to not dip into the portal and make him the guy next year. And, and I mean, you're seeing when, when that system's doing fine and the quarterback's in there, I mean, there, that's a really, really strong running back uh, opportunity there. Yeah. And I, I was actually just about to say like, well, are you concerned at all about the fact that without Jake Hayner, this offense is kind of really slowed down to the point where there's not a lot of CFF value to be found but again, they they just played they just played New Mexico this past week. Now, granted, it's New Mexico, but New Mexico's got a pretty decent defense there in the Mountain West, and right. they threw up forty one points on them. So, and Mims had his best best game in weeks. Uh, he had one hundred sixty five yards. So maybe all it is is just the fact that they were dealing with a younger quarterback that wasn't ready to be the starter just yet. And so with an off season to get things right and everything that yeah i like this call quite a bit and he's and he's just a sophomore by eligibility so you're getting you're getting multiple years uh with him if he ends up being the guy next year yep like the call a lot keegan jones and malik sherrod definitely go stash those on your dynasty rosters let's flip it back over to the wide receivers and let's go back to some of these guys who are redraft only Guys, now again, they're obviously valuable on dynasty rosters if you want to win this year, but in, but we're talking about this year, guys. And to me, this is probably the bigger name I would say off of the waiver wire this week out of pretty much all of them. This is probably the guy I would have ranked as my number one guy to grab, and that's Troy Franklin, the wide receiver out of Oregon. Man, what a show he put on this past week with or up against UCLA 10 targets, eight receptions, 132 yards and two touchdowns and that is not entirely out of the Oregon ordinary him and Bo Nix have really really started to develop a really good chemistry together and all you needed to do was just watch this game again UCLA this past weekend Bo Nix threw one of the best passes if not the best pass I've ever seen him him throw and it was a perfect dime right down the field to Troy Franklin if either one of those guys were off in the slightest, that ball would not have worked, and it was perfectly placed. Troy Franklin knew exactly where it was going to be, and that tells me that there are big things for these two moving forward down the stretch. As Nate mentioned earlier, there are not many Pac-12 defenses that are going to be able to stop this 
offense moving forward. And I really think that Troy Franklin, get used to seeing 20-plus point performances from him in a week-in and week-out basis because he is very talented in his own right. But again, combine that with the chemistry he now has with Knicks. I like it a lot. What do you think, Nate? Yeah, I'm with you. I, again, as we as we talked about with, during my my confession time, I can't believe here we are. Um, you know, towards coming down the home stretch of the season, and I'm recommending uh, an Oregon wide receiver. I would not have thought that that would have been the case at the beginning of the year. But you're you're absolutely right. Him and him and Nick's are just really on the same page right now, and he trusts Troy Franklin's ability to pull down just about anything he throws at him. And uh, and he's he's become the clear number one wide receiver there. And this is uh, this is an offense that is uh, scoring on average, you know, 45 to, to 50 points every week. So yep. um, you, you want the top wide receiver for Bo Nix for sure right now. Yeah. Again, if, if nothing else, you know that Oregon's going to find points every given week. Very similar to Jake Bobo, or not not very similar. I think Troy Franklin's a better play right now, but similar to Jake Bobo. Like, you know UCL is going to put up points on the week, so you just grab Jake Bobo, and you know he's probably going to get one of those touchdowns. Franklin, very similar situation here. Again, against Arizona, a little bit of a dud week, but every other week has been great for Franklin. I have no problem with him moving forward. Moving on to our next wide receiver here. This comes from a offense that I think a lot of us have kind of just left dead in the water. Nate and I, I know we definitely crapped on the quarterback here, Tyler Van Dyke, for a while. but And we've crapped on this wide receiver room at Miami quite a bit. But it seems like now we finally have somebody emerging for the Hurricanes. And that is Mr. Colby Young, uh, wide receiver out of Miami. He was rostered on 2% of rosters right now. Last three weeks, let's look at this. Four targets, three three receptions, 43 yards, and a touchdown against UNC. Okay, fine, that's fine. Then, all of a sudden, out of nowhere against Virginia Tech, 15 targets, nine receptions, and a touchdown uh, for 110 yards. Okay, that's fine. That's uh, Clearly, that's just a fluke, right? Like that, Like, no way he just jumps that much. Well, here we go against Duke. Nine targets, six receptions, 127 yards, and two touchdowns. By the way, he caught touchdown passes from not one, but two different quarterbacks in this game. This is not a chemistry deal. This is just Young is getting open, and he is being one of the guys that Miami can rely on right now. And we've seen with Miami that with guys like Charleston Rambo emerging late down the season that this could be a guy you want moving forward. So, Nate, what do you think about Mr. Young? Yeah, really interesting. It, it seems like Miami has realized that, hey, we can't run the ball. We really oh. can't stop teams on defense like we thought we could. Let's air it out. We've got a quarterback that has, you know, a, a couple of quarterbacks that, that can really throw the ball pretty well. Let's just let them, let's just, let's just air it out. And I can't believe that it took us till like week six or seven before we got to look at Colby Young based off how bad this wide receiver room was. Mm-hmm. This guy comes essentially out of nowhere. He played Juco last year. He, this is his second. He only played one year at Juco. He's a sophomore now uh, at Miami. And they got a taste of him there in that North Carolina game. And then he just, they're like, yeah, no, he's the man. And yeah. he's going to be our number one wide receiver. And if you've seen some replays, I, I, I would encourage you to go out to, to search Twitter or Google, whatever, for Colby Young, some of his catches. This guy's made some insane. You can see it in the picture that you've posted here. This guy's made some insane one-handed catches. This guy catches just about everything that gets thrown at him. So, um, yeah, I think that 
that we're going to see Miami air it out a little bit more. They've got Virginia, um, Florida State, Georgia Tech coming up as their next three. Um, I could see him consistently being, you know, a five catch, 100 yards and a touchdown type guy. Yeah, easily. And I did just, uh, sorry for everybody on the audio there. I did just look up Kobe Young's highlights because it's not a game I have really got. I have not been able to watch Miami game. So I'm trying to watch this really, really quickly just to see. And yeah, just immediately the first throw that I, I see to him perfectly played or perfectly positioned yeah he he looks legit moving forward i would very much be on board with grabbing young for any any roster that is especially struggling at receiver i think he is a guy that you need to grab last pure redraft guy we're going to talk about here before nate and i discuss some of our dynasty stash wide receivers luke mccaffrey the transfer from nebraska former quarterback form our little brother of christian mccaffrey now a wide receiver at rice university rostered on 30 percent of rosters again he's already pretty well owned but it's a guy that again he's had some insane weeks uh week uh let's see was that week three against ul lafayette 14 targets 10 catches 110 yards two touchdowns as well as the fact that this past week against louisiana tech 11 targets for 10 receptions 171 yards and two touchdowns as well as three attempts on the three rushing attempts on the ground for 31 yards and a touchdown dude is just a weapon for the rice program right now they're in the midst of conference play we don't have to worry about him getting shut down by better power five defenses they play in the cusa he's gonna find work any given week and again his volume's just insane right now i think he's absolutely worth a stash what do you or a grab right now what do you think nate yeah, I, you know, he's been kind of up or down, but it looks like he kind of plays, um, you know, when when he's not going up against a really good defense like UAB, he he tends to perform at expectations, um, and he tends to get close to ten targets. So, uh, yeah, and and obviously it's a big bonus the fact that he is going to be running the ball. I mean, consistently is getting a handful of carries each game. Who knows? You could even get, you know, he's former quarterback. You could even get a, a potentially a passing touchdown on like a trick play type deal. Yep. I mean, those are all options that Rice could use him with because he's kind of a Swiss army knife for them. So yeah, I mean, uh, double digit targets again, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get, add those guys, go after him for sure. Yeah. Just put them on your roster. No, anybody who you can, again, there's definitely guys on your roster that have not gotten double digit targets in like six weeks right. and you're still holding on to them for some reason. Just go grab a guy like Rice's schedule. I was, I was gonna say I was trying to see what their schedule looks like. Uh playoff schedule, Western Kentucky, uh UTSA, and North Texas. So okay, I mean, three are, great matchups. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are those are really good potential to to put up, you know, a high scoring game similar to what we saw with Louisiana Tech, 42 to 41 this last weekend. So yeah. Yep. Alrighty, uh, quick honorable mention at wide receiver, Elijah Badger, the wide receiver out of Arizona State. I don't think Arizona State's a great team right now, but man, when they throw the ball, it looks like it's going Elijah Badger's way quite a bit. Uh, definitely somebody to keep an eye on here down the stretch. Let's talk about our some dynasty guys here at wide receiver, Nate. First one I'm going to throw up here, this is a guy that had a pretty monster game. I don't want to say monster game, but he had a pretty awesome game. This past week against Texas, I'm going to talk about true freshman wide receiver Stefan Johnson, wide receiver out of Oklahoma State, not rostered anywhere, literally 0%. We, a lot of us, myself included, were really in on Taylor Shetron. 
going into this year and he has really not done much on the year we saw a few targets for, towards him especially in the end zone this game against texas but it was stefan johnson that was really stepping up for the hokies um in this Cowboys. game, oh, oh. aren't they? The, no, the, they're the Pokes or something like that. Like, yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, they're the Pokes. I mean, the okay. Cowboys are there. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, okay, so yeah, I got that confused. Yeah, sorry, Virginia Tech fans. Um, <laughs> anyway, the Pokes, the Cowboys. He stepped up for them, regardless of what mascot he was flying his flag under. Um, again, nine targets, six catches, ninety yards. I am not ready to say that this is the Oklahoma State wide receiver you need to go pick up for your redraft league this year. That has been a revolving door the entire year for Oklahoma State. They can't seem to settle on anybody there, but I think Stephon Johnson is definitely worth grabbing and throwing onto your roster in case he is that dude next year. Because again, they eventually have to go with somebody that proves that they can do it on a game-by-game basis. Stephon Johnson is definitely off to a pretty good start here as a freshman. What do you think about Stephon Johnson, Nate? Yeah, I think it's a pretty good call. I mean, if you play in a dynasty league, um, Taylor Chetron is not going to be available. He's you know, yeah. he's somebody that was targeted pretty early in, in dynasty drafts. Stephon Johnson didn't even play in the spring. for He didn't show up early. He didn't arrive on campus until June. And he's gotten way more reps than than Chetron has. And he was like the third ranked wide receiver in Oklahoma State's class. And, but yeah, it's, he's getting reps now. The staff clearly likes him. It's, he's playing a position that historically has been really, really productive. Uh, the boundary wide receiver under Mike Gundy, he's six foot two, 190 pounds. So he's got the requisite size that you want to be able to play that that role. Um, yeah. I mean, all things are indicating at least right now that maybe we were wrong on Shetron and that it was Johnson that should have been the guy that was more heavily targeted because that's how it's playing out so far. But yeah, I mean, obviously you can't give up on Shetron, but yeah. this is a, this is a really strong speculative ad. Like I said, if you're going to stash guys in dynasty, you want the upside to be there. And because yeah. of, because of the system um, that exists with Stefan Johnson. Yeah. And I would heavily suggest that if you do have Shetron on your roster, I would honestly, in any roster I still have Shetron on, if I am bidding for Johnson this upcoming week, I would up my bid just a little bit more just to make sure you get him. Because again, I think one of those two guys, both have the talent. One of those two guys will be a stud for the Cowboys moving forward. Again, I don't know if it's going to be this year. They seem to be very content about just different guy any given week. But what well, I, I think the the frustrating part with Shetron, and this this kind of goes back to my my frustrating part with Jalen Glover, Jaden Bray's been hurt this whole year. Yeah, and he's still he still can't get that much uh, opportunity. So I it's mean, like, it, man, Brayden Johnson's been hurt too. Right. Yeah. Again, it's been a very much a revolving door. Let's move on to your guy here, your ad on Dynasty rosters, Nate. Got Squirrel White, wide receiver out of Tennessee, rostered on 4% of leagues right now. What do you like so much about Squirrel? So he's he's a true freshman, uh, plays in the plays in the slot there at Tennessee. He looks to be the next man up to follow Jalen Hyatt. 
And if you've been paying attention to Jalen Hyatt's production, you kind of would want the next man up to fill yeah. into that spot. Jalen Hyatt has 12 touchdowns already this year. His, his, his stat lines have been insane. Uh, and we got to see a little bit of that. Squirrel White came into the game uh, pretty, pretty late um, against Tennessee Martin this week and uh, caught a bomb from uh, Joe Milton for a touchdown. So I think he had like a hundred and something yards and off five catches. He's one of the fastest wide receivers uh incoming freshman wide receivers uh he is crazy fast he got some really strong reviews out of camp from the staff everybody you know they had a really really nice um incoming wide receiver group there mm-hmm. in tennessee and yet all of the coaches seem to reiterate the same point that squirrel white is going to be a pretty special player there in knoxville so um if we're if we're assuming that Jalen Hyatt moves on which I think is is a pretty safe assumption at this point I don't think that he can top what he's doing right now he needs to go make that money while he can yep um Squirrel White seems to be a really strong candidate to take that take that role and run with it next year yeah I agree 100% he is that perfect burner type Uh, I know I know for a fact that schools like Georgia schools like Alabama were heavily involved in Squirrel's commit in Squirrel's uh recruitment yeah. recruitment process because again they they know that kind of receiver that can just absolutely take the top off of any defense just run right by their cornerbacks is such a valuable piece to have and in a josh heupel offense that's even better and if you, you really right. do believe that joe milton can be that guy next year and if he can work on his accuracy issues downfield and everything like that that milton to white connection could be there for them all year next year so i yeah, like even this- if it I was sorry. I was just going to say, even if it's not Joe Milton, whoever yeah. the quarterback is, they're going to produce for, for Josh Heupel. And, yeah. and, and there's, there's going to be big time opportunity for these wide receivers that it's, and it's going to be a, by all indications, it looks like there's going to be a fair amount of turnover with this wide receiver room. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause again, Hyatt's probably gone. Tillman's probably gone. If he comes back and produces pretty decently. Yeah. Yeah. So those are your two top guys. Yeah. All righty. Let's finish up with the tight ends here. We got one that's a redraft fun little ad here. And then the other one, I would say we didn't label as a, as a dynasty play, but I think Nate wants it to be a dynasty play. Um, But let's talk about the first guy here. Um, Tight end out of Tennessee, Princeton fan, not really used that much as a tight end because man, the last couple of weeks, Tennessee has loved the idea of goal line touches for this man. They against Alabama, he had one carry for two yards and a touchdown. And he was also using the tight end position a little bit. Again, three targets, three receptions, 24 yards. Again, that's not where his value is coming from. His value is coming from the fact that Tennessee doesn't want to be giving the ball to Jabari Small on the goal line or Hendon Hooker really anymore, it seems like. Again, they seem pretty content with throwing Princeton Fant out there and letting him get it. And then this past week against UT Martin, he had two carries for 12 yards and two touchdowns. Because again, as soon as they got within 10 yards of the goal line, they were like, you know what? Let's throw it to, let's go, let's throw it to Princeton here and see what he can do with it. Do I, th- again, heavily, heavily touchdown dependent. Do not expect him to be doing this every week from here on out. But it is, to me, a fun little ad here to go along for anybody who's kind of struggling at tight end and, you know, is looking for those guys with tight end eligibility that are getting these unique roles like this. So, Nate, what do you think about Princeton here? 
I think Hooker and small owners hate this man. That's for yes. sure. <laughs> I, yeah, it's I am I am a Hooker uh, owner. That sounds weird to say. Um, uh, I, say I, I, I'm, I'm cutting out that audio later of Nate going. I am a Hooker. I uh, I love Hooker. Um, but no, he's he's getting fans getting those carries around the goal line, and um, it's it's clear the staff has a package for him to, to be involved. He even threw a touchdown pass to Jalen Hyatt in the last game against yep. uh, UT. Oh yeah. Martin. Good call. So, I completely forgot about that. So clearly they like using him kind of in that Swiss army knife mold. Um, he's six to like two thirty-five, So he's not a true tight end in that nope. sense. He's just kind of that, that, that uh, H back or whatever you want to call him that just kind of roams all over the backfield and, and gets touches in a variety of ways. So yeah, like you said, super touchdown dependent. Um, but if, if you're desperate for a tight end, uh, he's somebody you could plug in and, and cross your fingers and hope that he throws another touchdown, I guess. Yep. Again, like I said, with some of these tight ends and everything, you're struggling that position. Yeah. Just look for guys who are getting unique roles on their offense and just mm-hmm. happen to have a tight end designation. So I don't have to speak anymore, Nate. Tell us about our next <laughs> tight end here. Mason Taylor, tight end for LSU. So he's a true freshman. Uh, he is um, started from day one there at LSU. Now his role has been kind of you know, hit or miss. He, he doesn't get much more than a handful of targets each game, but he is involved. Um, and he, he kind of had a little bit of a breakout game here against Ole Miss, five targets, three receptions, 44 yards and a touchdown. But what I like about him is that Brian Kelly said before the season started, he goes, Hey, you guys know that tight end over there in Georgia? Uh, he probably said this in a really fake um, Cajun accent, but he said, "Hey, you know that that y'all Brock know Dad tight end over there at Georgia. <laughs> y'all know that Brock Bowers. I'll tell you what, this Mason Taylor guy, he can be just like him. But no, that's Brian Kelly said. Hey, Mason Taylor is our gonna be. He's gonna be our Brock Bowers. Now, of course, it's Brian Kelly, and none of that really came true. But <laughs> it he is somebody that has started from day one. I mean, it's it's really hard to find a true freshman tight end that steps in day one and is playing. Um, so, I mean, there's there's going to be some opportunity moving forward for him. So, I, I think if you're in a if you're in a deeper dynasty league, um, he's somebody you really have to um, pay attention to and and probably add to your roster and see if he continues on that trajectory. Yeah, I like this call a lot because again, not only. You mentioned he's going to have opportunity going forward because guys like Keishon Butte, he's gone after this year. There's no way he's sticking around. Jare Jenkins, I think, is on his last year of eligibility. Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas, I believe, are eligible after this year. I can't remember if they've been in LSU for two or three years. But even so, they have the option. And it seems like wide receivers out of LSU just get drafted because of their helmets sometimes, regardless of what they produce on the field. So maybe they just say, hey, screw it. They'll take an LSU wide receiver in the fifth or sixth round. And all that does is just more open up more and more opportunities for Mason Taylor moving forward. You saw it last you, you saw it last year with Brock Bowers. Part of the reason why Brock Bowers opened up last year for Georgia was because he had so many injuries at wide receiver, so many guys move on, it just left opportunities open for him and he produced. Yeah. So I like that call a lot. And he's, the most well, go ahead. I was just gonna say he's super athletic too. Um he's he's got that uh, that rare level of athleticism that michael trigg type athleticism that you want from your tight ends to give you that upside you know i mean brock bowers is breaking off 70 yard catches you know you want that type of athleticism his dad his dad is um 
uh, Taylor, the uh, Hall of Fame defensive end that played for the Miami Dolphins. Perfect. Um, so, I mean, you know what kind of athleticism you're, you're kind of getting with this guy. Yeah. And the most important part of all of this is the fact that Brian Kelly, with all of his love, really made Taylor feel a big, like he was a big part of that LSU family. <laughs> the family. Family. <laughs> the four-syllable family. <laughs> on that note, the four-syllable family. On that note, that pretty much brings us to the end of our show. Again, a little bit of a longer one, but I feel like there's a lot of great information for both Redraft and Dynasty players here today. Again, don't expect the Dynasty sashes every week kind of moving forward and everything. I just thought given the fact that there weren't a lot of super obvious waiver wire pickups this week that we could take the opportunity to just kind of discuss a few of those guys moving forward. A lot of you guys DM me every once in a while and say like, hey, who are some guys you're kind of stashing for next year? I'm trying to get ahead of the curve. Well, this podcast is the way to get ahead of that curve. Nate, you have been absolutely awesome today, sir. Do you got anything coming up that you want to throw out there to the um, to the audience that they can chew on until they, you actually release it? Yeah, a couple of weeks I'll be putting together some some dynasty stuff. Um, you know, as we kind of transition towards the end of the season, uh, looking at some some transfer portal type stuff. So, um, but that that's that's still a couple two to three weeks out. Uh, right now, you can check out my uh, you know my mid season kind of um, risers and and fallers uh, that that I put out recently. So go to campuscanton.com and you can see those articles there. Yeah, absolutely. Go check those out so you can look at the positive regression article and see all of your opponents, guys, are going to get more touchdowns the rest of the year. And all of your guys on the negative regression article are going to get less touchdowns. And then you can go cry like I did. So, again, Nate did an awesome job on those. He did very well researched. Absolutely. Go check out those articles. Again, make sure you check out the other CTN episode coming out later this week on Wednesday. Guys, it is bye week hell this week. All of our matching guys are off this week. So many teams are off this week. And it is going to be difficult to find some of the, some, find really just find guys to start in your rosters. I know one of my rosters, I had, it's an 11-man roster. I had eight of my starters on bye weeks this week. Ouch. Not very good planning on my part, but regardless, that's just the reality some people are facing. So it's going to be a very, very interesting week in terms of sit starts, in terms of what games you can take advantage of this week. So absolutely check out that. And yeah, with that being said, y'all have been awesome. Really appreciate you guys listening. And I hope you guys have a wonderful and blessed day. See y'all.